So good morning, Antioch family. Uh, happy snowy Sunday to you. Um, it's obviously a little bit disappointing that we're not able to meet in person today. Um, but what could we do with two feet of snow out there? We make with the, the best we can do. Um, we are going to just continue with our sermon series. So I'm just going to record the sermon I would have preached in person this morning, uh, the, the latter half of James 2. And next week when we meet in person, hopefully, uh, we'll pick up in chapter 3. Um, so we're looking at James 2, 14 through 26 today. And, and this is a, a famous passage about faith and works and, and, and what sort of faith. Um, and, and James has actually already been setting us up for this passage, right? So at the end of chapter one, he talks about the issue of hearing and doing, right? That there are some who just hear the word and that's it, but we're supposed to be doers of the word. Um, last week, uh, he sets up a contrast between showing favoritism, uh, which is wrong, it's sinful, uh, when we should be showing love, right? Loving our neighbor. So that's a, two different things, right? You, you can love your neighbor or you can show favoritism based on outward appearance or, or uh, in this case, he was using the example of wealth. Um, and this week, it, it's faith without works, right? And so in, in all these things, uh, there's a similar theme, right? That there's something uh, about hearing the word or being loving or having faith that ought to be seen in how we live, that we apply it. And so that's the, the basic idea that he has been on from different angles for, for a while now in this letter. And so we're going to jump in and, and start with verses uh, 14 through 19. So he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, so I, I like how James uh, starts here, because he starts off with an example that is very realistic, right? Uh, that, that someone um, who is without clothes, and we don't have to understand it as completely naked, but without appropriate clothes or, or enough clothing, uh, and without daily food. Um, so he, he starts with an example that's very realistic, one that will actually come up in their life. And actually, if, if you couple this with the previous passage uh, about you know uh, someone who comes into their service who is wearing filthy clothes versus someone who's wearing nice clothes, who has a lot of money, um, it it's comes to me, it's pretty clear that this is an issue in their community. And we see this later in chapters four and five as well. That this is a major issue that he's dealing with, which is why I think he's spending so much time on it. But he chooses a normal, everyday example uh, that they could see uh, on a regular basis. Right? So someone encounters somebody who doesn't have enough clothing, doesn't have enough food, and they wish them well. Right, It sounds like a good Christian thing to say. Go in peace. Keep warm and well-fed. It's kind of like in, in, in our language we might say, oh, I'll pray for you. Now, it's not that James is mocking the idea of prayer or wishing somebody well. 
Um, you know, that happens sometimes in our culture, like in social media, when something bad happens, people are like, my prayers are with you, and people mock that. Uh, James is very pro-prayer. Later in chapter 5, he even talks about the prayer of a righteous person, uh, as I learned it when I was a kid, availeth much, right, is very effective. What James is tackling is a false righteousness, right, that claims to call on God, right? Oh, I'm going to pray for you. God is the most powerful he is the highest power in the universe, <clears throat> and I will call on him. I'll pray for you uh, that he would help you, right? It sounds really good, but fails to see that God acts through people, right? Yes, he will bless people, and he will help those in need, and he does it through us, right? So it's this, he's, he's tackling this sort of faith, quote-unquote faith, this false righteousness that says, I want God to do something for you just not through me, right? So the big issue here is that many are content to believe the right thing, even if there's a disconnect between their faith and their actions, right? But those sort of believers will find themselves in really bad company, right? As he says here in, in 19, you believe that there is one God, right? So the baseline confession of faith, right? That, that, and remember, he's writing to a largely Jewish audience. We see this in the first verse of the letter. Uh, the baseline confession of faith, there is one God. But you know, demons actually believe that too. And it was uh, in the providence of God, uh, just yesterday in my Bible reading, I started in Mark chapter 1, and it shows up right there where demons recognize who Jesus is, right? They're afraid of him. He is the Holy One of God. Um, they believe the right thing. They recognize Jesus. They understand who he is. But it stops there. There's no submission to him. There's, or in a sense of, there's no honoring him or worship of him. And I think it's a very important point here because James is talking about a faith that is largely what you might call mental assent. It's agreement to something that is true. But that's not enough. And this is actually um, very sobering uh, as I was working through this. You know, I, I do try hard to teach the Bible uh, well and accurately, right? I, I take uh, biblical truth very seriously. I hope you see that. But it was a, a sobering reality as I was working through this passage to think right, that, a, that a demon could pass a theology test. And that's just not enough for us, right? Um, and so holding the right views does not mean that you are righteous, Right. Holding the right view does not mean that you are righteous. We see this actually in our own culture, even if you move out from a strictly a biblical or theological thing. Right, There are good things that people push for and they hold the quote-unquote right view on, whether it's abortion or social justice or something like that. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing to hold the right view. But how many people hold the right view on these issues but never actually engage in helping those in need, right? They, they limit it to social media posts or, you know, hashtag campaigns or, or talking amongst their friends, but they can walk by someone um, on the street who is in desperate need and never help them, right? So I actually think this is not just a Christian problem. This is a problem in our culture as a whole that Christians have just sort of, and, and, and many of us at least, have just adopted naturally as our viewpoint. Okay, so if those verses, 14 through 19, are don't have a faith like this, then these next verses are, are more, this is what sort of faith you should have. 
Okay, so starting in verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he goes on to give a couple examples. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Okay, so a couple things here. Um, one, again, I just want to point this out that James is not demeaning faith, right? Uh, not by any means. Um, he, he's not saying faith is bad, works are better. Uh, and I think this is a common misunderstanding, especially um, if you were to take the broader view of the church in the Protestant church, which is what we are a part of. Um, the, the, the real contrast here is not faith versus works, right? The real contrast here is two different kinds of faith, right? It's a dead faith, a useless faith, or a faith that works right? A faith that is demonstrated. In fact, this, this series is called Faith Demonstrated in large part because of this passage, right? So there's bad faith, dead faith, one that does nothing. And then there's a faith that doesn't just believe the right thing, but is actually demonstrated, is seen, it's proven to be true, right? A, a faith that displays true righteousness before God. Um, and so uh, I would say uh, this way, a saving faith can be observed by our actions, not separated from them. And so it's an interesting thing in this passage that, that I think can get a little bit lost in translation. Um, so this idea of faith, belief, trust, which I don't, in the NIV, trust doesn't show up, I don't think, in these verses. But it may be in the translation you're looking at. Um, that's actually all from one word in Greek, right? That this is being written in faith, belief, trust is all coming from one word. Um, and, and that word shows up 14 times in this passage. Um, and so when you're coming across the word faith or believe in these verses, it's all, it's all from one word. And they show up 14 times in just 13 verses. And in the same way, works, actions, deeds, again, that's actually all coming from one word. And they show up 13 times. So in 13 verses, you get 14 references to faith or belief and 13 references to works, actions, deeds, and they're all mixed up, right? They're not really separated. And I think that's very intentional. That's exactly what James is trying to do is to say you can't separate those two things. Now, he uses uh, two examples. He uses Abraham and, and then he uses Rahab. And it's an interesting thing. Uh, and I think it's actually important to understand the timeline here. Um, because what he, what he says here in verse 23 is that the scripture was fulfilled that, that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he had already, Abraham that is, has already been declared righteous by faith. This, uh, the story of him and Isaac occurs later, right? But it demonstrates his righteousness, right? What God has already declared to be true, that he is righteous by faith, is now proven to be seen, right? If I can put it this way, Abraham was already declared righteous. 
in the testing of his faith, proved his righteousness. And I'm using that language intentionally because James uses this, that language back in chapter one, the beginning, the first few verses. Right. So in which way does Abraham demonstrate his righteousness? By trusting in the Lord or obeying the Lord? And the answer is yes. Both of those things prove he is righteous, right? His, if we can put it this way, his works, what he does, fills out his faith, right? And, and so verse 22 is an interesting one. You see that his faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Uh, you could translate that a bit awkwardly and literally, but it says you see that his faith was working with his works and by his works, his faith was completed or perfected. Right. So those faith working with works, which is really awkward English, but the awkwardness kind of makes the point. Um, and so he, he demonstrates a life of faith that works, that does something. And even just a little thing that James slides in here doesn't make a big deal out of it, right? Is a motivation. Going back to the first sermon in the series, we talked about these, these destinations of, of spiritual maturity that ends in, the, in the, the destination of the crown of life. And even here, right, a life of faith that works. And Abraham was called God's friend, right? To be called a friend of God is a motivation for us. Um, I think he just kind of slides it in there. Now, Rahab uh, is another example he uses, um, which is kind of fun because uh, she doesn't get a lot of play um, in a lot of in the minds of a lot of people. But remember, she was a prostitute from the pagan people of Jericho. And this story is in Joshua, the Old Testament book, Joshua chapter two. Um, now she switched her allegiance, right? Her faith from believing in false gods to the one true God, right? And, and she even says in Joshua chapter two, verse 11, the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And when God's people come to her for help, uh, that switch, that faith in the one true God is shown to be true uh, because it wouldn't mean anything if she let God's people die, right? Her faith would have been useless, but instead she helps them, right? And so her, her confession of faith, the Lord, your God is God in heaven on above and on earth below. I mean, that's similar to what a demon would understand to be true, but unlike the demons, as we saw in verse 19, she did something. She took a major risk to protect God's people and was saved when God's judgment came on the city. Right? So both Abraham and Rahab demonstrate the same thing. They both believed or had faith in or trusted the Lord. They were fully devoted to him. They, for, they were forsaking all other gods. And both of them had a faith that was demonstrated in tangible ways. They proved their righteousness. And I think that's, that's James' point, is that their faith was seen. It was demonstrated in how they lived. Which brings us to what I think is a great summary verse in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Right? So how do you know a person is dead? How do you know a body is dead? Right? It has no spirit or has no breath. And I think there's an actual intentional play on words here. If you go back to Genesis 2, uh, when God creates Adam and it says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
the man became a living being. Now in Hebrew, and actually this works in Greek as well, the word for spirit or breath is the same word. And I think it's an intentional play on words, right? That um, God breathed breath or this or a spirit into what was just the form of a man. And that man became a living being, right? But if you take away that breath or that spirit, it's just a body. It's just a, it's just a shell, right? So I think it, it, what we're saying here is if the breath of God, if I can put it this way, if the breath of God isn't in our faith, it will be seen by the disconnect between our faith and our actions, right? Our, we will have the shell of a faith, the form of it, but it will actually be dead and useless, just like a body that has no breath or spirit left in it. If the breath of God isn't in our faith, it will be seen. People will notice it because there's a disconnect between our faith and our actions. So as I, as I mentioned last week, we saw how love your neighbor is a commandment that ought to be easily observed by others. And in that case, he's talking about by not showing favoritism. Love your neighbor is not discriminating between rich and poor. It's just all neighbors should be loved. In the same way, our faith ought to be easily observed by others. So oftentimes we put things like love or faith as like these inner virtues that we cultivate. But James is saying that's not enough. If people can't see it, then it's not true love and it's not true faith. And that actually follows in line with the character of God. Right, so if the most famous verse in the Bible is probably John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? So God for God so loved the world that he sent us well wishes and said, Be warm and well fed. Right? That's not how it works. The love of God motivated him to send Jesus, right? Motivated him to uh, act on our behalf. And so I think what James is really saying here is we're just following that example, right? Our love for neighbor ought to motivate us, pushes us to act on their behalf. Our faith, right, our understanding of who God is and what is true and right about him should be seen in how we live. So here's uh, the challenge I want to I leave us with. It, it, this is just very practical. just want to encourage everybody. Take a few moments, ask the Lord if, if something doesn't come to mind immediately, um, but take a few moments and say, Lord, where is there a disconnect between what I believe to be true and how I'm acting, right? Maybe it's one of these examples that will come up in James, and I encourage you as you're reading through James over these next uh, few weeks to look for them, but it might be something else. Say, I know that Something is true and right and good in the eyes of God, but I'm not acting as if it. no one would observe that, right? I'm not demonstrating it through my actions. And then my encouragement to you is don't just write that down, right? Because that would just be a hearer of the word. Do it. Make an action plan. It might be a real simple one step. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Or it might be a, a little bit more multi, multiple steps. But my encouragement is before next Sunday, Take an actual practical step in doing what you know to be true and right and good in the eyes of God. And I would love to hear, uh, hear these stories from you guys and, and to see what the Lord does in us and through us. 
Okay. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys next week. I hope that you take some time to think about this and spend some own time uh, in the word and journaling and, and to see what the Lord speaks to you. I love you guys. We'll see you soon.